Hey to all you fish enthusiasts out there. Whether you're an avid angler or just curious about fish, we'd like to welcome you to Fish of the Week, your audio almanac of all the fish. It's Monday, June 13th, 2022. This year, we're excited to take you on a week-by-week tour of fish across the country with guests from all walks of life. I'm Katrina Liebeck with the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service in Alaska. And I'm Guy Eero. And today, we're talking about a shiner, a special shiner, the Topeka shiner, one of many in the genus Natropus. And we're very pleased to have two guests. We've got Heidi Coiler, a fish habitat biologist with our La Crosse Fish and Wildlife Conservation Office in Wisconsin. She's also the coordinator of the Fishers and Farmers Partnership. And we've got Roderick May, and Rod's the hatchery manager at our Neosho National Fish Hatchery in Missouri. So very warm welcome to you, too. Thank you. Glad to be here. Okay, so first question, Rod, being at the hatchery, I'm guessing you've had your hands on a lot of fish, seen some Topeka shiners, and we're hoping you could... Help us imagine if we had one of these fish in hand, what are we going to see? What do they look like? How big are they? You know, there's nothing really extraordinarily striking about these little fish. They look pretty ordinary. You know, to your average citizen, they're pretty small, you know, a little bit bigger than your finger. Got a little color, but most people ask, like, where are they? You know, kind of what they come in expecting to see something really colorful and jumping off the page. And they're like, oh, okay. So uh, that's kind of like the reaction we get from the tourists. You know, they expect them to see something much bigger. And some fish get real dressed up for the spawning season. Do these fish get any kind of colors or nuptial tubercles or anything like that? Well, yeah, of course. You know, uh, you know, the males will color up and they get that little orange, kind of reddish color on the fin. You know, get a little oranges, reddish around the gills. You know, we'll generally, you know, pick out our pairs. You know, in the spring, you know, when the males are all colored up, they're in their brightest and most glory. So uh, that's, that's when we do our work. We know why they're looking good. So let me ask, why in the world are we raising shiners in a hatchery? Because normally you think about a hatchery, you're raising sport fish like trout or sunfish to stock out there. So why do we got these shiners getting raised up? Well, you know, the Topeka shiners are actually uh, an endangered species. We are participating in a uh, non-essential, you know, stocking experiment or study. We're going back to the habitat and trying these fish in their habitat and a little different habitat. But mainly, you know, we're just trying to keep this species going. You know, hatcheries are a wonderful tool, and it doesn't matter the size of the fish. We just care about the fish. You know, when you see where they, you know, these little fish reside, they got to be some tough little fish. You know, some places you can jump across the creek. So, you know, it gets to be really hot in the summer, I'm sure, really cold in the winter. Weather, you know, influences this population. So, uh, that's where we get involved. See what we can do to help them survive better. My familiarity with hatcheries, you know, you got people going in, they're like stripping the trout, getting the eggs out. I can't imagine that that's something that you can do with these little fish. So I'm just curious about sort of the nuts and bolts of your propagation practices out there. Believe it or not, we have had some people here to strip these little fish by hand. One little squirt of eggs and one little squirt of sperm. That's all you got to work with. You know what we like to do is set up beds for them in one of our raceways. We're doing this pretty non-traditionally. We are not using a pond. We're using actually an empty raceway series. Here we stagnate the water, let the temperature come up to, uh, to the right temperature. We put the fish in the raceway and we let them decide when they want to spawn. That's traditional way we do it. But like I said, we have, we have done some hand spawning here, you know, to see if we could do it. And we did it and raised some fish actually intensively 
inside a building, you know, so we had some uh, that we actually uh, raised two different ways. It was very, very interesting. Are, are these beds that you're making for them, do these fish make beds naturally in the wild themselves or do they use the beds of other species or what, what are these simulating? Oh, that's a good question. They use spawning beds, but they don't make their own spawning beds. We actually put perch, you know, a little small perch in with the Pika shiners. Now the perch will make the nest. I've actually seen this happen. I've been standing on the race and I've watched this on the wall and I've watched this happen. While the male sunfish is guarding the nest, he's got his own nest and, you know, his own females. And so there are other sunfish males that are giving him some problems. While he is fighting the sunfish males, the Topeka shiners come in on the backside and they actually spawn in the nest. The male sunfish takes care of his eggs and the Topeka shiner eggs. Man. They got it good. Someone's making their nest and taking care of their eggs. It's a terrible thing, but I've seen it happen. (laughs) (laughs) It seems like a high risk, though, because what if he gets caught with the sunfish? Would he think like, oh, this is something that might be coming in to try to eat my eggs and him come in and chase him up and bite him up or anything like that? You know, from from what I've seen, there's such a big size difference that the, the sunfish is more concentrating on the males of his species. He's figuring that's where my threat is coming from. These guys okay. no good. So while he's thinking like that, these other shiners are coming in and just doing what they want behind him. Okay, so it's kind of a little commensalistic relationship there. Well, I can see how it helps the, uh, you know, the shiners, but, you know, the sunfish, you're not getting much out of this deal. Yeah, you're right. Gotcha. It's a really cool system. I've never seen anything like it. You know, the first year we did this, we were like, well, uh, you know, we probably don't need all of those sunfish in there. But with no sunfish, you get no shiners. Yeah, it's important to think about all the fish when you're thinking about conserving one species like this. That's very cool. I think it's really cool we have both of you on the line because you mentioned hatcheries can be a really good conservation tool, especially for fish like this. We've got Heidi, and Heidi focuses more on the habitat. So Heidi, we're hoping you could kind of help us understand what habitat these fish need and kind of where they are in the wild. Sure. So historically, Topeka shiners were found in Missouri, Mississippi, Arkansas, and currently the Topeka shiner is in Minnesota, South Dakota, Kansas, Nebraska, Missouri, and Iowa. Topeka shiners have been found in low-order prairie streams that usually have perennial flow. They're generally tolerant of high water temperatures, low dissolved oxygen, and high levels of nitrate. So you know, they can exist in many of our streams near farms. However, we've had some threats and limiting factors over the years, including habitat loss, fragmentation, and an altered landscape, including changes in hydrology and morphology. So our office works mostly in Minnesota and Iowa on habitat, but the Fish and Wildlife Service has been working in Iowa on oxbow restoration for many, many years. So where our office comes in is we work with many partners, not just in the Fish and Wildlife Service. Our partners in the Fish and Wildlife Service include ecological services, private lands, and then also we work with many other federal, state, local partners, non-government organizations like the Nature Conservancy. And we go in and restore these oxbows. So oxbow is a 
term maybe folks have not heard or familiar with. It's a really neat type of formation off a river. Maybe you can just give us a little understanding of what that is. And I know you also mentioned the order of the stream and just for folks that don't necessarily know some of those terms. Yeah. What does that mean? So starting off with order of the stream, it's a classification system that we classify streams. So a low order stream would be classified as a one, two, three. Those would be typically more your headwater streams where the streams start out. Streams like the Mississippi River would be a high order stream. So streams meander, you know, streams not only move water, which many of us realize, but they move sediment and they change over time. So streams meander back and forth depending on what they're transporting and how resistant they are. Oxbows are created by the stream cutting off. And most of them are about a quarter acre in size, maybe half an acre. There's a few larger ones. Just for a kind of like a view looking down at a river, if you're flying in an airplane and you're looking at a river and how it meanders, you can actually see oxbows. We have a lot of them up here in Alaska and they look like little U's basically kind of surrounding the the river as it meanders. They're, they're really easy to pick out once you have a feel for, for what they are. They're cool. Yeah, it's awesome. And these little oxbows really do help filter the water, help clear up the water. They can remove 47% of the nitrates on average. And some of them can even be up to 100%, depending on how long that water sits in those oxbows. So it's really cool because they're creating a spawning habitat for the Topeka Shiner, but they're also reducing the nitrates that are going into the stream, as well as decreasing sediment going into the stream. So usually when we restore these oxbows, we go in with excavators and, and dig down to the old stream bed because over time these fill in with with sediment you know with rainfall and land use practices different things like that so we'll go in and we'll restore these oxbows it doesn't take any land out of production so the farmers are you know a little more willing to work with us because we're not taking any of their land out of production they're still able to farm it Rod, you mentioned at the beginning kind of how people are like you know where's that fish they're small and Heidi you work with farmers how do you sell this restoration work to folks like farmers? And Rod, I guess, same question to you. How do you sell the importance of this fish to folks that visit the hatchery? With us, this is a good example of how we can prove to people it's not the size of the fish that matters. It's the fact that this fish is an endangered species and we're about to lose this species from the face of the earth. So if we want this species to continue to reside on this earth, then that's where we get involved. It's about our, our restoration efforts as an agency, as a whole. Yeah, with our work, it's funny because we'll have field days where we have farmers come out and all the biologists will get in the stream and insane these oxbows to show the farmers the fish. And some of the farmers are, oh, it's bait. I can use that for go fishing. So at first, you know, when you say we want to provide habitat for the Topeka Shiner, they, they, they kind of scratch their head and say, well, it's just bait. Why? And then we talk to them about why it's so important to have all these, these fish in our streams. And Topekas are also found in the wild with fathead minnow, which often is a bait fish. And then orange spotted sunfish, green sunfish, 
and sand shiners, and not only fish, but waterfowl use these oxbows. We have all the other, you know, fur bearers that use these oxbows and all the other fish and wildlife come in because it's all one big food web, right? And so when you do these oxbow restorations, you're also bringing in other fish that the farmers can fish for and that their kids can fish for. And that's kind of one of the biggest things they say, I want to leave something for my kids and my grandkids. We get the bait joke a lot here too. The number one joke is all you guys are raising bait fish. Well, not exactly, you know. It can be really hard to look at these fish and tell that there's a difference, both physiologically and ecologically. They serve very similar roles. So, you know, you were talking there about, you know, you restore the habitat, you get all these other species. And I, I do think that that's right. And that's a good way to think about it. But at the same time, you think about, okay, if you lost the Topeka Shiner, you could, in theory, put in another thing that does essentially the same thing. And ecologically, it would probably be pretty similar. So why is the Topeka Shiner in particular so important compared to some of these other ones that we could have? I don't know. I, I mean, if you could say that about any animal, right? But if you look, if you look at monkeys, if you, say, if you tell someone, well, what, what's the point if we lose one species of monkey? It's not a big deal. But there's a lot of people that would jump on the bandwagon and say, oh, it's a huge deal. Um, so why are fish any different? It's so important that we have all of these species. They all play a role. And a lot of it, we don't even know, you know, even though we're biologists out there in the field capturing these species, there's a lot of other things that we don't even realize that they play a part of in the whole ecosystem. Yeah. And so I think it's huge. Also, if you, if you lose the Topeka Shiner, there might not be another fish that can just jump right in and, and do, you know, their role in the habitat. Because I look at some of the other fish species that we capture with them and they're different, you know, so it's not quite a hundred percent what the Topeka Shiner can do. It's a slippery slope too, making a decision on losing one and then losing another. Right. And then you get into right. that whole scene of just, you know, gradual change. And at the end you've lost a whole lot and can't right. get it back. So yeah, huh. exactly. You know, when I'm talking to uh, kids and groups, they ask that same exact question. And I try to break it down as basic as possible for them. And I, and I generally say something like this, is that these species and all of us are in a giant web. Since all these species are connected together, it's like building a house of cards. And you don't know what card, but if you pull that card out, it could cause your house of cards to start to tumble. So it's best to leave all the cards in place. So when we think about fish moving, we maybe think about salmon, some of those really highly migratory species. Are you guys doing any work to help fish like Topeka Shiner do their, their movements as well? So last month was World Fish Migration Day on May 21st, 2022. So we have been really trying to improve fish migration of the Topeka Shiner. A lot of times people talk about lake sturgeon or megafauna, right? Big critters. And a lot of times we think about marine fish. But we have to remember Topeka Shiner is also a, a great fish in freshwater. And so our office works on fish passage projects you know, bridges and culverts and different things can have a major impact on the Topeka Shiner, especially in our rural areas. So, you know, these 
populations can be disrupted depending on how these culverts or bridges are placed or misaligned. And oftentimes they'll become perched. And so the the fish won't be able to, to migrate to spawn in its historic spawning grounds or to get to the oxbows that they need to. So our office has been working with Minnesota DNR and Iowa DNR on, on trying to improve fish passage for the Topekas. These fish don't really have a voice, right? And so be the voice of these fish and talk to your local county, especially if you live in the areas of Topeka shiners or other fish too. Talk to your local county folks and your state folks and see how you could possibly play a role in improving fish passage for not only Topeka shiners, but all the fish out there. I got one final question for you, Rod. Okay. So if, if I know the National Fish Hatcheries, we have a whole network of them, Neosho, it's a pretty old hatchery is my understanding. And I'm, I'm guessing folks can come visit this hatchery like many of the hatcheries? Absolutely. Uh, we're in the southwest corner of Missouri. We always, always have out the Wickham net down here. Uh, we've been open since 1888. 1888. That's like, that's early in terms of like fisheries management in the U.S. That's We actually have a file cabinet of some of the early daily written logs. We have the original letter that was sent to the first manager here from Washington, D.C. We have funds that he sent back to the commissioner that he had arrived here. So we got a lot of history here. That's cool. And, and we've been a, commu- a member of this community since the beginning. You know, we've been a place that people come hang out. You know, in the community, we've got shelters. We've got barbecue grills. We've got everything that you would find in a park right here at our hatchery. We like to entertain. We have our own cook shack. So come in and uh, walk around the Osho at the oldest operating federal hatchery in America. And what kind of fish could I see there or other animals? Well, uh, you're going to see a lot of rainbow trout. You know, we're mitigation rainbow trout hatchery, first of all. But we also have, uh, like you mentioned, you will see Topeka shiners. Uh, you will see freshwater mussels here. You will see uh, pallet sturgeon. You will see uh, lout perch. We have freshwater drum. We have largemouth bass. We have several species of whole fish along with our rainbow trout here. So uh, you can, we've raised, goodness, about 100 and 34 different species of fish here in our history. So just wow. about any fish that's Dang. been raised anywhere has been cultured here in the ocean at one time or another. Super cool. I put on my list of things to go see. Well, thank you two very much for joining us. This was a fascinating conversation about the Topeka Shiner. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. It's been fun. Okay. Get out there and enjoy all the fish and learn more about the Shiners and especially the Topeka Shiner. Thanks for listening to Fish of the Week. My name is Katrina Liebick, and my co-host is Guy Iro. Our production partner for the series is Citizen Racecar, produced and story edited by Charlotte Moore Lambert, production management by Gabriella Montaquin, post-production by Alex Brower. Fish of the Week is a production of the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, Alaska Region Office of External Affairs. We honor, thank, and celebrate the whole community, individual tribes, states, our sister agencies, fish enthusiasts, scientists, and others who have elevated our understanding and love as people and professionals of all the fish. 